HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Roberta's Pizza, robertaspizza.com. I'm Greg Bresnitz. And I'm Darren Bresnitz. We're the host of Snacky Tunes. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. turned up loud. We got it cranked up today. It's punk rock and pizza. Two great tastes that go great together. Hi, Judy. <laughs> Hi, Mike. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Barreling into the holiday season, your favorite time of year. It really is my most favorite time of the year. How's the Christmas tree all set up? No, no, I don't get it until a little later in the month. I like to power celebrate. <laughs> so I think maybe like next week, the week after. Next week, the week after. And next week and the week after, this is the denouement of the greatest greatest epic of my life <laughs> <laughs> i it's true this is my only two more shows after today so we have to let this one and, and, we have and, to make this count it's, it's true it's mike's tr- firing me <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hiring someone with a bigger twitter following <laughs> uh i i miss you already this is, this is uh it's been what a long strange trip it's been yes and i'm, I'm actually i'm really excited about our guest's book today because i'm like this is I, it. This is the first time I saw. This is like my childhood in book form. I love it. Um, Which is good because in two weeks we're doing Judy McGuire. This is your life. So. Oh, good. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't show. wait for that one. But um, might as well start now with uh, New York Hardcore. And our guest Tony Ratman is the author of the new book NYHC New York Hardcore 1980-1990. Tony, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for coming in. This book, I mean, I'm looking at the pictures, and I just remember thinking I was so, like, I'm so big, like, I'm so old in these pictures, and everyone looks like a fucking baby. <laughs> they all look like, everybody looks like they're 12 years old. Yeah, yeah. Is okay. that what happens when you get old? Like, that. <laughs> Not <laughs> that, that you would know, Tony question? or Mike. <laughs> Ju- well, Judy, Judy was uh, full-on hardcore. You were, you were a mohawk. I had, I had one mohawk. I had two mohawks. You are the double I had, mohawk. I had uh, three mohawks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was 
a hair person. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, spent every Saturday at matinees and stuff. Mm. It's really cool. That I love the setup, too. The, um, the, uh, like the oral biography kind of thing. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you can't... It, it, that's important to do because you, you can't futz with it you know like it's there's no way to revise anything there like that's that's everybody's words they can't come back and say hey right that didn't happen well that's what you said you misinterpreted this and you're like i have the tape yeah i have actual hard copy tapes i don't i don't mess with the with the digital (laughs) so old school old school so tell us new york hardcore um for those who don't remember, mm-hmm. or were well, too sadly not even born, or too lame, <laughs> too lame to get into the mosh pit, or yeah. frightened by the whole thing. Yeah, because honestly, a lot of my friends at the time, I loved it. I was there at CBGBs at the um, shows on the matinees and stuff. Mm. But um, the kids that went there, I didn't see them going to see the Gun Club or the Cramps necessarily, or rock and oh, roll bands. Not, I, a little I don't bit. know. I saw yeah. that. I don't know. One thing about the kids, see, that was an all ages show, and other bands played in bars, right. and as opposed to the punk rock generation that came before them too, the Sex Pistols played in bars. This was an all ages thing. Yeah. It was definitely a youth movement. Definitely. And uh, and I loved it. I got took a lot of energy and a lot of uh, good, yeah. good hard lessons from it. <laughs> no, I agree. I think that's something that it was definitely something that was youth oriented, and it was you know, you know, for you know, lack of better words for the kids and i you know there's also a thing where you know my brother was taking me a lot of these shows and there was a lot of bands that i identified with but then there was bands that were like there were a gray area band where they couldn't play a bar show but they weren't really hardcore like you know i remember first time seeing like flipper and just being like i don't get this <laughs> like, like where's agnostic front i don't get it but you know it's many years later and Many, well, Flipper yeah. being a good example of a band that did have a sort of hardcore DIY ethos, yeah. um, but they were definitely bit off on guard, yeah. you know, for the thrash crowd, which tended yeah. to be a little bit more on the nose with fast parts, moth yeah. parts, yeah. and their political message. Yeah. And what the fuck was Flipper? It was like a hippie jam band going wrong. It was it was the Grateful Dead. It was uh, the Grateful Dead of but, like noise rock. But you know, like yeah, like my Flipper single that paid for some utilities one month. <laughs> mm. um, that that's another thing. Like, oh we, yeah, let them eat my copy. Let them eat jelly beans. Got me a lobster dinner. Huh? <laughs> my Misfits singles paid my rent well, for oh, several. Yeah. months. Then we, sure. we consider the Misfits a hardcore band. Uh, ish, yeah. ish. I, I well, a lot of people asked if they were in the book, and in in some sort of weird, um, maybe aesthetical way, I thought like the Undead fit in there more than the Misfits in a way, like because by that point, from what everybody said, and sort of like from doing research, like. You know the Misfits are already on like a certain plateau. Like right. they were, they weren't like going to A seven to see uh, rapid deployment. Or something. No, yeah. I mean I don't ever remember seeing the Misfits at a show yeah. unless they were playing a show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a different thing entirely. So um, just to, just to center this for those who weren't there, I would mm-hmm. say, um, and I'm not talking being New York centric here, but of the hardcore punk movement, such as it was, um, the Dead Kennedys were the first band that I uh, heard that was like sort of like you know, the post-Sex yeah. Pistols era of punk that I really loved. And then um, maybe um, MDC was a big band for me. Certainly the Bad Brains were the biggest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minor Threat. Those were the bands that I think were probably the top tier and kind of created the sound that everybody came after. Um, no, yeah, that's that's true. But, you know, I think the, the interesting thing about New York is I think when all those sort of first wave bands are scenes like DC and Boston and things like that. You know, by nineteen eighty four, nineteen eighty five they were sort of like, Oh, we're gonna go metal or hey, yeah. we're gonna be like emo core or whatever that came. But then Boston York- Boston. Uh, well, Boston went more metal. DC kind of went into the. They're both lame. This is New York, dude. This is not Boston. <laughs> this is, but what Boston I'm trying- is New York, not Boston. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is, I think New York really. 
that's when they blossomed, when all those scenes went to the wayside. Then there, you had the Cro-Mags, and you had Agnostic Front, and you had Murphy's Law sort of coming in. Which are huge. Huge. Yeah, and the, huge. And then, that like, New York was the first place to sort of welcome the whole, like, whatever you want to call it, the crossover, metal, what have you. Like, so at that point, they Crowd. were like, yeah, they had the... They had the spotlight on them when all the first scenes sort of were like, you know, growing or, you know, however you want to put it. I'm, I'm happy because there hasn't been that much written about. I mean, not that many books about New York hardcore. There are yeah. certain bands that have done okay and stuff. But there's there's L.A. L.A. always gets all the credit, yeah. I guess, because... Wait, you mean for the thrash bands? You mean like like Orange County punk? Like, you know, just those... The, like the punk scene from from LA gets way more books yeah. written about it for some reason, and and this even the been, black black flag, yeah, uh, black yeah. flag circle jerks, yeah. all them. I yeah. mean, I love them, but you know, I also loved like Heart Attack. Yeah. We were talking about Reagan Youth. Um, I, the reason we're talking about Reagan Youth just to get you to tell our favorite story one more time before you leave. <sighs> you can just like Google it, okay. <laughs> The nose ring getting stuck in Dave's dreadlock. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, Tony. And somehow that didn't make your book. Yeah. Yeah, somehow. Well, that's, that's actually, I met Judy um, before we actually met, um, was in a van going up to Boston to a gig with Reagan Youth. Okay. Um, and Dave Insurgent was a great friend of mine, a very close friend of mine. In fact, I dedicated my book, yeah. I Have Fun, yeah. everywhere yeah. I go, to um, I like Dave's how you managed memory. to... to to put the entire title of every time you mention any of your books, that is a That's skill. That's not the entire title. Oh, okay. That's, <laughs> That's okay. far from it, my friend. <laughs> Can you refresh my memory on the entire title? <laughs> I'd, quick, I'd more quickly remember the subtitle to John Strasbaugh's book uh, about Greenwich Village. By the way, uh, we're going to see John tonight at KGB Bar. For anybody listening who's tuned in um, a couple weeks ago to hear John talking about the history of Greenwich Village, if you're around, come uh, see John and I greeting tonight at KGB Bar. But um, Dave was a very good close friend of ours and a very funny guy, very charismatic guy, yeah. and a guy who had like, some natural leadership uh, abilities in the scene. Um, yeah. That's where I met Judy. She was with her Mohawk climbing in the back of the van when my band Sharky's Machine went up to Boston okay. to do a gig with uh, Reagan Youth. Okay. Um, I love the comment of the book. It's true. Um, Reagan Youth was such a loved band. They were clever. They had good hooks. Uh, they were kind of political without being obnoxious, yeah. which was a big problem back yeah. then. Yeah. Um, and their record just came out too late and they missed the whole wave. Exactly. Exactly. They would have been huge. No, it's true. And the, uh, you know, I have a very vivid memory of, you know, I have, again, an older brother that got me into all this stuff and he would bring home he worked in a record store still does and uh, would bring records home every Friday and I remember reading about Reagan Youth and like Maxim Rock and Roll and stuff like that and then when that record came out I remember I was 12 years old and even I was looking at it like dude where this is over <laughs> like the whole fold out like, right, like crash style but I, anarchy yeah and but once I heard it I was like this is fucking great well the great like, thing about you know, Reagan Youth I always thought Paul Cripple the guitar player yeah. a really great guitar player yeah. those guys were into hard rock they liked Led Zeppelin they yeah. had a mentality that went a little bit beyond you know <laughs> yeah. this hardcore One, two, thing three, four, yeah. now if you remember in 1982 while this was going on for all ages shows and this hardcore punk and thrash across town there was another thing going on which was the garage rock revival yeah. which was kind of like you know it was in a bar it was a little bit Older, it was paisley and very chick friendly, yeah. you know. And decided, but there was a lot of crossover in the crowds. Uh, I don't know how much. I think Dave Insurgent was the guy yeah. who really kind of he kind of embraced flower power, yeah. you know. And I don't mean the peace punk San Francisco, you know, kind of thing that was happening Excellent. a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. But he was open minded to like hippie rock and classic yeah, rock, yeah. which was definitely '86 on most yeah, of the yeah, hardcore yeah, yeah. thrash agenda. Yeah. yeah, you know the the funny thing is when I interviewed Paul for the book, somehow we were somehow we got on the subject of the Grateful Dead, and he was like, you know, we. Reagan Youth covered like the other one or something like in Chicago, and there was just like a bunch of skinheads moshing. And like, I was like, well, that is sort of the original mosh part. And he's like, 
Yeah, it is. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. Well, if you listen to the record, there are some like really ingenious like Led Zeppelin riffs worked oh, into their songs, their yeah. hooks. And the first drummer they had, that kid Steve, who was this little kid. Like, yeah. yeah, he had great hands. I mean, yeah. that really separated them too. Yeah. And Jerry Williams recorded that record. He knew how to make drums sound great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But there is something a little more punk. I, I don't mean punk in the way of like. But there's for Reagan Youth, I think there's something that musically or sonically connects them more to. You know, there's there's some kind of weird like. New York Dollsy kind of gritty. Well, he had a '77 thing, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And back in the day, that's what we'd call if someone played punk rock, not yeah. hardcore. We'd yeah. call it '77 style. Yeah. They loved the Ramones, you know. They loved the Sex Pistols. They loved the Damned very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sham '69 was a big favorite. Uh, uh, Dave's too. God, we yeah. went, Dave took me to see Sham '69 one time at CBGBs. At this point, um, they decided they weren't going to be a punk rock oh, band. Yeah. They were going to be a Depeche Mode I style pop that, yeah. band. Yeah. Maybe you were at the same. They're the same day. They this emptied is... the club. I mean, the club was packed to hear them. You know, do if the kids are united and all that stuff. Yeah. And they came out with synthesizers, and within yeah. ten minutes, there was no one left. No, it was, it was. I've never seen a club empty quicker. Even Gigi Allen couldn't empty a club <laughs> that fast. Well, with me, it was. I grew up in New Jersey, and my brother was a DJ at City Gardens in Trenton. Um, Another hardcore capital. Yes. And um, so whatever. I guess it's Sham 69, so he was playing like old 77 punk rock. And I remember standing out in the crowd, and all of a sudden there was – I forget what record was playing, but you just heard <laughs> like the record skip and like hit, hit – you know, just <laughs> the label. And it was Jimmy Percy knocked it off the turntable and then got on the microphone and was like, you know, this is 19 – 80, 86. It's not, <laughs> it's not 1977. This isn't a nostalgia show. We're a band now and blah, 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 blah. Look at the now sound. And then, uh, yeah, then I, was, I guess the now sound was synthesizers. <laughs> and then there were a bunch of skinheads there not too happy about that. And, um, he you was serious. Pick man. your own adventure how that ended. <laughs> I, I think they went back to their roots, though. I think they, they reformed well, for a while. And yeah. Well, greatest hits like everyone is, I guess. Well, nostalgia is a big, not the punkest of them all. Bob Dylan, by the way, whose show the other night was so fucking punk. He's so much punker than you are, Judy McGuire. He's punker than I am. Like an, yeah. I'm a middle-aged woman. Okay. I'm not punk. Well, there's a 73-year-old guy, <laughs> and he came out and played records from his last, played songs from his last couple of records. Yeah. And that was a show, and he stood there and did it, and wow, it was like, I mean, no, it wasn't a greatest hit show. Yeah, I'd like exactly. to see Mick Jagger try that. Yeah, exactly. To put out a relevant record in the last 10 years, <laughs> and then no. base your entire tour on the work you've done in the last exactly, few years, yeah. instead of like going back to the, to the 60s. It, it, was, it was incredible. No, that sounds great. And um, yeah. but speaking of nostalgia, that is yeah. definitely um, a big a lot of nostalgia, I think, for the hardcore thing. Agnostic Front still play, right? Yeah, yeah. Murray's Law come, wheels it out once in a while. Yeah, but I, I think the thing is, with especially with New York, I think, is it didn't become nostalgia. Those guys kept doing it. Agnostic Front just kept putting yeah, out records. And, yeah, and like that's the whole thing. Is like, there's no cash in here, I think, with a lot of these guys. No one went away and was like, hey, somebody cares? All right. And like strolled back in. Like, they were always doing it, and they deserve that respect because they think, they never they never left. I think the nihilistics did they, they oh, ever yeah, they, break up. Like no, <laughs> <laughs> they keep going. God bless them too. How That's did, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just like that band is very uh, important to me in a way that again, my brother bringing that record home and like looking at that back cover of the record where they're just like Whoa, like they look. This is radio, <laughs> but they look like this. Um, and just picture look at, a scary face. Yeah, yeah. Just picture a wrestler and being like, "Oh my god, these guys are crazy! Look at them!" And but it's the equivalent of like if you saw a horror movie when you were twelve and when you're scared, but now you watching like <laughs> like you look at the cover like their guitars aren't even plugged in. Like this is fake. But but having said that, um, their message mean meant a lot to me. And 
became you know, what was that message exactly Tom? oh everybody <laughs> sucks the world sucks which to me is a better message than um another song about ronald reagan the, yeah, uh, yeah, the plight yeah. of native americans not that those things yeah, weren't important wrong with that. but yeah. it's very hard i think to be effective in that situation i think that was the downfall of the dead kennedys yeah who yeah. were so great when yeah. they came out of the gate yeah and i was with reagan youth we did the whole rock against reagan tour in 1984 yeah. i was with them on the bus and man the dead kennedys could really whip a crowd into a oh, frenzy yeah, yeah. it was so exciting and talk yeah. about great guitaring and yeah. a band that had their own sound and their own thing. Mm-hmm. But at some point, singing about Cowboy Ronnie comes to town. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. wow, no. you know what? You and know, Jello has never given up that ghost. Jello, oh. is like, I mean, I don't know if you've seen him recently. Well, yeah, I saw him in Austin a few weeks ago at Fun Fun Fun, and I was just like, this. No offense, whatever he did a lot. No but, offense to who? Jello. Yeah, Jello <laughs> doesn't get offended. Jello, you give spoken word a bad name, Biafra. <laughs> <laughs> no, more like it just seemed like he he could probably in thirty years from now still do those same songs and just like I am President Obama. <laughs> just press a it was all the same songs, but just like well, there was irony in their first record though. Yeah, Kill, no, Kill the uh, poor yeah. and stealing people's mail, and it was so, a play, yeah. it was it was important, but it was a playfulness to it. Yeah, that, yeah. that they lost, you know, yeah. by the time quickly, that, yeah. very quickly. I yeah. Inter- yeah. I interviewed him a few times, and the first time I interviewed him, we went to this Indian restaurant, and he was pouring this green shit into his water. I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and he's like, <laughs> I was like, oh, what's that? He goes, don't write that down. Please don't write that down. I'm like, <laughs> the green shit, the water. You're not like green. shooting up. You're putting yeah, yeah. like spirulina yeah. <laughs> in your water. It's like Dave and Sir. I think his, well, we, went to, we went to college together, I met David and oh, wow. and, you know, Dave was already a blossoming hippie, you know, this is like the internal conflict, you yeah. know, the, the, the dilemma of Dave was hippie punk, hippie yeah, punk, yeah. and realized you could be both, because they really weren't that far apart yeah. when he came right down yeah, to yeah. it, but Dave's dream was like to pick up a girl at the salad bar, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, and then later when we were roommates for a little while, they kind of crashed at my house one Saturday night, yeah. um, and then stayed all summer, <laughs> pretty, pretty much, um, until it became a point like, dude, keep your meat away from my tahini sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Dave, Dave, let's take a break. Yeah, let's go back, way back. Let's uh, hear some Reagan Youth. This Great. is Degenerated, yeah. which uh, spawned spawned how many bands? One. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're listening to Arts and Seizures here on Heritage Radio Network. This is Big Dad. I want to see my boy. Anybody see my boy? No, Hey, yo. My goddamn daughter My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. 
We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Posting after the jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Hi, how are you? My name is Andrew WK. They say when things are very delicious, it must be Heritage Radio. We do want everybody to remember that Heritage Radio is listener supported, so please log on to Heritage Radio. Network.org, you probably are if you're tuned in, and uh, send us your money and keep it going. Because this thing is going to live longer than you, Judy McGuire. You've got two more shows left, but I've got a whole lifetime here at Heritage Radio. (laughs) All right, the pizza's here. We're talking to Tony Mm. Rettman about punk rock, New York hardcore. Question. Yes. Where does punk rock end and hardcore begin? Ooh. Well, then. Um, (laughs) You know, I've kind of, obviously, I've thought about that because I think the main reason, you know, I think that first wave of New York hardcore, like, the heart attacks, undead things. I think those guys from D.C. or something, or Boston, had beef or an issue with that. I think because New York started punk rock, mm-hmm. and then hardcore is supposed to be something that wiped the slate clean even of punk rock. Like, it was just like, everything sucks, everything we do is great. So... I Boys think, and their beeps. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's a whole other radio show. Well, you know, yeah. I think what we just heard, Reagan, you, that was yeah. that sounded like punk rock. No, to yeah, me. totally. You yeah. know, I mean, it was edging towards the thrash, to the velocity, yeah, yeah. but the spirit of it sounded like it was coming from the Ramones. Also, of course, Reagan Youth, like one of the great Queens band. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like most of the New York Dolls and, yeah. and, and the Ramones. Yeah. Um, but to me, that was like more of a punk rock thing. And it's one reason I think people liked it and they could have put a finger out the hardcore kids. Yeah. It's because they didn't play it 12,000 miles an hour. Yeah. And it was a little bit funnier than serious. Even though it was like yeah. serious about, yeah. there was no straight edge. Yeah, there was no. St- oh, yeah. oh Jesus Christ! It was like the most stonedest guy of all time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was saying at the break. Was you know, I was very, 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 very straight edge, and uh, the well, one were time you twelve, could you really be anything <laughs> but? Like- <laughs> I was, uh, I was straight edge up until I was at least I kept. Kept the law in mind. I was straight edge up until about twenty one. Okay, so, like, right. you know, like and then, then the wheels fall off the car. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Let the wheels fall off and burn. Because when I was fourteen, I couldn't wait to get laid and do drugs. <laughs> oh, I and was then just... finally when I was thirty eight and it happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, seeing I was both scared of drugs and girls, probably up until I was twenty one, it all made sense. It worked out. But um, I remember the one time I saw Reagan Youth was in um, Thompson Square Park, and you know it was a pot benefit or a pot rally and all my friends were like, I'm not going to that. And I just want to see Reagan Youth and they were great, but I remember at the end like some 
guy just getting on and being like, we're going to march now, like, for pot. And I was like, hell no, I'm not. How dare you, sir? Like, yeah, it was probably like yeah. Aaron Kay or Dana Beal, like two of the uh, biggest yeah. advertisements for don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave was very involved with what was sort of like the last uh, gasp of the Yippies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the whole thing was going on at number nine Bleecker Street. Yeah. Which is an important part of New York City history. Yeah. I think, you know, Dave was in tune with that. I think, you know, a lot of the hardcore bands, too, let's not forget, there's a, stuff, a suburban influence oh, yeah. on all of this. <laughs> yeah. As, first of all, it's too hard to be in a band in New York City. Yeah. It's impossible to rehearse. It's impossible yeah. to have a drum set. Yeah. It's impossible to play loud if you live in an apartment. Yeah. And um, where are you going to do it? So it's easier for kids who played in their basements mm-hmm. to come to CBGBs and play. Yeah. And it sort of came out of a world. And the same thing is, I think, why also... Black Flag and Orange County bands. You know, it's a suburban thing. There were exactly. many more bands and they could get better faster because it was easier. There yeah. was no barrier to entry like there is in New York City. Yeah. It's just fucking hard. Yeah. It's hard doing anything in New York. Yeah. Well, back, but we don't have cars. Back then they had was, station wagons. It was yeah. a little easier because there was abandoned buildings yeah. and lop spaces and stuff. But how did you pick the bands? Like, how did you pick 1980 to 90? Because I know there are people who still think hardcore is around today. You well, know, it is. I guess. Um, uh, it is. I know it is. Okay, I'm just. I mean, you know, you can. It is. But, but, still, why did still you pick Beethoven that, and Mozart? That um. Um, because I know. That's what I know. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> because it, from the eighty to you know, I was more part of it from like eighty five for the second half. Mm-hmm. But I was always super intrigued, and it was almost like you know, my like I said, I had a brother. He was bringing home fans. He was bringing home records. And I wasn't really allowed to go to those shows until later. So it was almost like comic books to me. Like, I would read fanzines and look at these records. And all the records that were coming from New York weren't like Minor Threat or they weren't like SSD Control. They looked a little more punk. And then and a little more fun. Yeah, yeah. And then there was this whole thing. Then it all became hard. Like, yeah. everything was hard. And then it was so hard. So Are you that, hard enough? How hard are yeah, you? So there was a big thing there where I was like, well, how did it go from, from that to that? Like, I was always really super interested in that. Like, you know, like, you would look at Maximum Rock and Roll, and it would be, like, pictures of the False Prophets or something like that. But then the next issue would be, like, uh, The Abused or something like that, where it's just like, well, well, these don't add up. I always thought that was weird. So I always wanted to find out kind of what that those first five years were. I kind of knew what the last five were. Like, that was kind of where I, I did a fanzine and interviewed all those bands, like, you know, that, you know, you probably think suck. Like, you know, like Gorilla Biscuits <laughs> and Youth of the Day and Sick of It All. Like, that was kind of my... That was my era. That's where I latched onto it. And that kind of became a part of it. I liked those bands, though. And what I liked about, like, Sick of It All, you know... Um and, and some of those other bands in that era was was a spirit of high energy and yeah. fun and mm-hmm. wasn't introspe- overly introspective. Yeah. You know, where it later became like navel-gazing indie rock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, when I played in high school and I sounded like into punk rock and I was also into blues and playing these blues bands mm-hmm. in someone's backyard was, was pleasant. But when you played at a punk rock show and people started jumping up and down yeah. and people in the audience were putting off as much energy as the band was and mm-hmm. responding to it, yeah. that's what I wanted to do. And yeah. that's why I went full, you know, full on into, you know, hardcore and thrash and, well, it's kind mm-hmm. of an art-damaged version of it with yeah, Darkie's yeah. Machine. But yeah. I wanted to see people leaping off of PA stacks because yeah. it turned me on. It, yeah. it was hot being a drummer and playing fast and hard yeah. and not, you know, moping around behind a moping around and singer. watching you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. there, there was a shift, though, like as a woman at these shows where in the beginning, like the mosh pit was something that you could be part of or at least on the sidelines. And then it just went so aggressively macho, sort mm-hmm. of homoerotic, like football players tackling each other, like it kind of sucked. The girl, you know, the, mm-hmm. it's like the Kathleen Hanna thing, like girls to the front. The, like yeah. girls had to go to the back because yeah. otherwise, like, you'd get a boot in your face, which I did several times. You yeah. were like the Rosa, Rosa Parks <clears throat> of punk rock. 
I, w- I would not make that joke this week. It's it's yeah. not it's not a good week for that kind of stuff. I don't think. Um, oh man, I'm did sorry. I just get told? <laughs> did I just get told? Yes, you did. You, okay, but you were you were a pioneer. I was going to ask you though, seriously, in all seriousness, what it was like being a woman on that scene because it is such a boys' club, and the and the X Y vibe is so heavy on on that thing. And I'll tell and, you and what you it's there. like. Getting punched in the face by your boyfriend in front of CBGBs and the only person who says something is another woman. You know, that's what it was like, not to be like a complete downer. No, but yuck. Um, but yuck. And that's it was like part a really macho, sexist thing. And, you know, after a while, I didn't want to go see those shows anymore. I didn't want to s- sit in the back. I still like to be at the front of the show, mm-hmm. you know, and... uh I, I just want to know when that shift was. I'm trying to think, like, maybe 83? Yeah. It seemed know? like, from doing whatever, the research and interviews, it does seem like there was a shift somewhere. And maybe that's when there was younger people coming, like, maybe people from the suburbs coming in and, um, you know, sort of seeing the cues from other scenes, like, oh, well, like... They're tough, and you know, but I don't know. You know, I, I think there definitely was a shift too, and I think part of it too is like the first wave of bands that were genuinely clever and, and really yeah. good bands. We're talking also the LA bands, the Circle Jerks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty sharp record, you yeah. know. And and what Black Flag was doing, what the mm-hmm. Kennedys were doing up in San Francisco, and a couple of other bands. The Dicks were great, yeah. you know, out of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and they had a gay front man wearing yeah. a tutu. You know? Yeah, yeah, you know, it was unbelievable. The Dicks were awesome, and the Big Boys too. You know, yeah, know, and these bands, and then later, like like every other scene, the barrier to entry gets you know sort of goes away, yeah. and it's and what you're listening. To is like a third generation copy yeah. of fast part, mosh part, yeah, yeah. fast part, mosh part, and the band stopped being as sharp and clever. You didn't have to be as sharp and clever, yeah, because yeah, it became yeah. a thing. Um, yeah. And more and more people became attracted to it, and yeah. the scene became more gentrified, if you will. Meaning, yeah. well, at the first, punk rock is about being an individual, and, yeah. and then it became about being a gang and looking like everybody else. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, I mean, the first guy you saw with a circled A was like, "Whoa, that guy's kind of like out there. He's an outlaw." Yeah, and then the next <laughs> thing you knew, they were selling it in you know, St. Mark's place. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But that's also the weird thing is, like, I think for that later part of of hardcore, whatever you want to call it, like, when those bands like Black Flag or the Dead Kennedy started to grow a little, like, I remember seeing Black Flag many times where a bunch of, you know, young dudes with their heads shaved would be like, hey, what's this? Like, didn't you buy a record? Like, don't you know? This is, like, not what it was in 1982. And right. they would just be so like, hey, these guys sold out. Like, really? Are, are you paying Black attention? Flag? You just paid $10 for this. Like, you know, like. I know what I was getting into. Why didn't you? Like, yeah. that was a, a really weird thing where there was just like a lot of bands that sort of went further, but the audience stayed back. I want to say before we go, uh, congratulations to me on the cover of The Village Voice. That was amazing yeah. that this book uh, and, and your, your, your book and the yeah. story was on the cover of The Village Voice last week. Yeah. I mean, that was more coverage than they gave it at the time that it was yeah. actually <laughs> happening. Really? That's what everybody said, yeah. I mean, actually, it's, it's Freddie from Madball that's on the cover, but yeah, no, we. Um, that I had nothing, and a lot of people asked me, like, well, how'd you do that? I was like, I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, it's not like I, I went to somebody's log cabin with a sifter of cognac. I was like, so let's talk about this. Oh, it, was like, a, it didn't happen. Well, like well if it were the village boys, you'd probably have to go to Phoenix where their headquarters right. are. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. but is it possible that the people who are now running the village voice are in power came out of the scene? I mean, they did. I they mean, did. And, and because at the time, I mean, again, it was a youth movement. Yeah. And it's not a thing that necessarily needed to be taken. I mean, I say that weird because Taylor Swift's on the cover of Time magazine this week, and it yeah. doesn't get any more teeny bopper than that. Yeah, yeah. But um, this was not happening in serious music circles, this hardcore yeah. punk thing. It was a real DIY, grassroots, street-fed movement. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was huge. It was powerful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. I think that, that that's the deal. Is now it's gotten up to that point where the people who are in charge were actually a part of it back then. 
And so where can people find your book? Because your website is down now. Your your bazillion points books is down. What? what? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's down. Um, basically, it's the it, the book had more legs than we thought. Let's just see. Okay. Oh, that's great! You crashed. <laughs> You've been crashed for for, for, yeah. for unbelievable <laughs> amount of traffic. But you can you can still pre you can still order it. Um, I think the next batch will go out to uh, the end of the, December. Uh, it's www.nyhcbook.com, or you can go to the Bazillion Point site. And that's, a, that's a great URL, nyhcbook. Yeah. yeah. That's it. You're a it's pretty easy. Book. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, as ever, it has been, like <laughs> like a good hardcore show, <laughs> the fastest half hour yeah. in entertainment. <laughs> yeah. So... Judy McGuire, two more shows. Two more shows. We're counting it down. Next week, we're, um, this week, punk rock. Next week, booze. Oh, all so. oh, right. I forgot to do <laughs> booze. All right. So we're going out. You know, with, the Irish lady likes that. Yes. Yeah, so we're going out with your favorite topics, and, uh, and we're heading into Christmas. Uh, Tony Retman, thanks again. Thank you very much. And congratulations on your book. It is Thank entirely you. awesome. Thanks Thank to you. Liz in the booth for Judy McGuire. This is Mike Edison. We'll see you next week on Arts and Seizures. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.